Hello and welcome to another edition of Webinar Extra. This is where we bring you some more time with one of our webinar presenters so that we can answer some of those additional questions that, well, there just wasn't enough time for during the live event. Think of it as the dessert to the main course. You mean the bonus track at the end of the album. I mean the podcast after the night before. And if you haven't already seen the webinar, then you can head to our college online learning page and check it out. Or you can just keep listening, nodding sagely while you wonder what everyone is banging on about. The choice is yours. We hope you enjoy the programme. Michelle, thank you very much for joining us. How do you feel the webinar went? It was a nerve-wracking experience with all the technology and so on, but it was a really nice experience. I really enjoyed it and it seemed to go smoothly. So I was very relieved at the end that it, that it was smooth. I think it was a great session and we had over 750 people tuned in for the session and they've sent in lots of questions as well so if you're happy let's tackle some of those can we talk about post-operative cystoid macular edema to start off with so lots of questions about that can you share your experience of treating this condition how would you manage this in your clinic well generally when patients come into the clinic for a post-operative assessment it's normally at the sometime around four between four and six weeks which is the peak time that you would tend to pick it up so um, if we find that they are symptomatic that, that, and their near vision is, is significantly affected, then we then do an OCT and that confirms the, our suspicion and it confirms the diagnosis. And um, because the patient is symptomatic, we do feel we have to take action. So we would normally start with a steroid and a non-steroidal. So we would start on something like Keterolac, Aculoff, uh, three times a day for a month. And we would also start with a steroid and we would usually start with Predforte four times a day for a month as well. We'd obviously monitor the pressure before we start the medication and then we'd assess them after a month just to see whether or not the CMO has started to resolve, which hopefully it should have done. And also we're also um, double checking for a steroid response as well. So within a month, we normally see some improvement. If a patient hasn't had an improvement after a month, then we would refer to the consultant for a triamcin alone injection because that gets the steroid straight to where it's needed and the CMO resolves much more quickly after that injection. If we do see an improvement, then we tend to keep going on the medication until the CMO is almost resolved, so there's almost no cysts. And then at the point at which it's looking as if it's settling, we then taper the steroid. So if a patient's on the steroid four times a day, we'd continue it four times a day for a week, three times a day for a week, twice a day for a week, once a day for a week, and then stop. And as far as the non-steroidal is concerned, they would have been on three times a day. So they would then move on to twice a day for a month and then once a day for a month. So it's a little bit longer, but it just gives that, that nice tapering off effect so we don't get any rebound inflammation. That's really useful. And in the session, you said that um, it's much more common now for IP optometrists to be managing this condition. So that sounds like a really positive thing for the profession and for the patient. Yes, I think it is. I think if you want to manage it, I think it's good if you monitor the patient with OCT. And if you don't have OCT, I think it might be more difficult to track whether or not the patient's actually improving or not. So you'd probably want to double check with your local hospital department that they're happy for you to manage it if you don't have an OCT. Or it may be appropriate for you to start the patient on treatment and then refer the patient to the um, hospitalised. So you've started treatment, but you don't have the facility to follow them up. And therefore, can they be seen within four to six weeks for that follow up? 
And again, we do have a duty of care to make sure that the patient doesn't fall between the cracks. So again, it's a good idea to have a telephone call, perhaps a reminder in your diary, just to phone the patient, say, have they heard from the hospital and have they had a follow-up? Because if they've started treatment and it's not been effective or they still need to carry on treatment, but it's stopped because they have no longer have access to that medication, then you may need to intervene or write to the GP. And I guess the final point on CMO is... Lots of practitioners now have OCT in practice. Um, they may not be IP qualified, but they may just be doing a routine OCT scan at a post-operative cataract appointment. Is it possible they might be detecting some asymptomatic CMO? And should they do anything about that? Just so you know, when you see those really tiny little spots, but yeah. six, six vision. Yeah, I think um, if it's an incidental finding, then you don't need to do anything about it. If you just do a scan as, as a screening tool, I think if the patient's asymptomatic, it's most likely that then it will resolve on its own. And if it doesn't resolve and the vision does get worse, then the patient will come back and tell you. And if you're really worried, you can ask the patient to monitor themselves, maybe give them an AMSA chart to look at and on a regular basis. And if they've got a problem, they'll come back to you. Thank you. Some questions on flashing lights and floaters. So... Um, <laughs> Isn't there always <laughs> our favourite favourite topic? So question here, with recent onset flashes and floaters, if a patient is dilated and all the examinations are normal and there's no indication of a tear, but you see lattice degeneration that's not been noted before, how should you manage that? Well, it is a tricky one because you may think, well, I don't want to refer someone that doesn't need to be referred to casualty. You don't want them sitting there in casualty for six hours, particularly in co during the COVID times, and only to be told, well, actually, everything's fine, because they may feel that you've not done them any favours. But I think we're talking about new symptoms here. The patients experience new onset, a new onset of flashes and floaters. So that's the new part. So that's what's changing. So it suggests that the condition is changing somehow. So even though you've examined carefully and you, there is lattice, sometimes you may still miss a very small tear. So it's still worth referring the patient to casualty. And I think if you look at the um, guidelines that have been issued by many local optical committees on urgent referral, they do say that actually if they have got those signs, those symptoms, sorry, and they've got lattice, then they should be referred urgently. That's great. Really good advice there. So another question, this awkward scenario in practice, I know I've experienced it. I'm sure, sure many people have. So it's a patient with sudden onset, flashing lights and floaters, they attend your practice, but they're driving and they've got no one to drive them back. How do you manage that situation in your experience? Again, we've all been there, haven't we? And I suppose with patients, I think they want the, you need to explain the risk, what the risk is to them if they're not dilated. So you have to explain why the importance of dilating them. And if they have no one to drive them back on the day, depending on the time of day, perhaps they can wait because quite often the drops will wear off after four or five hours and they can drive themselves back. Or they could catch a taxi back and then come back and get the car the next day. There are options available. But the other option is to bring them back the next day because as the guidelines still suggest that we see them within 24 hours. So you would still be following guidance if, even if you do bring them back the next day. Really good advice. And, and and here an interesting question about a patient again presenting with flashing lights and floaters, but they have really high pressures. And, you know, what if it's due to pigment in the trabecular meshwork? Would you manage that differently? Well, I think it depends on whether one eye or both eye has the high pressure and what the what the level of the pressure is. It's unlikely they will have tears in both eyes resulting in pigment in the trabecular meshwork and really high pressure in both eyes because if that was the case they'd probably be feeling quite ill as well they're probably feeling quite sick due to that pressure rise so I think if it's just a slightly high pressure maybe you know in the upper 20s I would still dilate because the risk of not finding a tear or detachment is actually a greater risk 
I think if someone has got pigment in the trabecular mesh work due to a tear and the pigment's been released, the chances are that it's actually quite a lot of pigment and the pressure is really high. So the patient will be really quite uncomfortable. So you're dealing with two things that you're dealing with, with the flashes of inflated and the raised pressure. So even if you, the patient didn't have flashes of inflated, you'd probably still be referring them to casualty because of that really high pressure and the symptoms that they're experiencing. Moving topic now and another scenario that does happen in practice. So if you're referring a patient would you still dispense them new glasses or would you advise them to hold off until after the referral's been seen? Again, <laughs> this is a tricky one because sometimes patients can be quite insistent. And one of the things that patients do ask is how soon will I get seen by the hospital? And hopefully you will have an idea of that. So if they've got a long waiting time before they're going to be seen and they need an update in their spectacles in order to be legal to drive, for example, then they probably should update their glasses. But you need to obviously inform them that the prescription will change after they've had their cataract surgery. However, if you feel that you have an access to a quicker pathway and the patient's likely to be seen more quickly than that, then it might be an idea to hold off. I see patients quite often that complain to me that they've had their glasses changed, there wasn't much improvement, and now they're going to have to change them again. And some of them are so angry about it, they actually say, I'm not going back to that optometrist again. <laughs> so we don't want to lose patients. So I would hold back on issuing a new pair of spectacles if you think they're going to be seen quite soon. So that's a really good point. Communication is essential, isn't it? And I understand it's a common cause of complaint with the obstacle consumer complaint service as well. And it all comes down to good communication. And if someone desperately needs them and they've got to wait nine months, it may be the right thing for the patient, but they need to understand that they may not work afterwards. And as you said, if they need to wait four or five weeks, then it might be better waiting. But it's a really pertinent point there. I always encourage the patient as well in that situation, if they feel that way, to say, well, why don't you go back to the optometrist and explain, actually, you've been seen quicker than they expected and you're quite disappointed that you've not been able to utilise the glasses. Would they be able to change that one spectacle lens for them? Because that then opens up the communication again and gives the optometrist the opportunity to rectify it. Because I know, I think it was my sister, she had the same experience, but the practice she went to, advised her and said you know that's absolutely no problem we'll change the lens for you don't worry about it we'll replace that lens for you free of charge and so she's been a very loyal patient to that practice because of that. So during the webinar you spoke about comorbidity and, and this is always a bit of a headache to manage. And, if and only patients ever only ever had one condition. I know it would be so much better I mean one eye one condition very very straightforward. But yeah, this awkward thing, sometimes they have two conditions at once. How would you recommend managing referrals in those kind of situations? Well, I think before COVID and we had the normal sort of target waiting times, I would have probably suggested in my area that we would refer to one hospital and they would be seen by a general outpatient department and then put into each individual clinic accordingly. I think that might be different depending on where you are based in the country and how big the hospital is. So but now during COVID times, it can be a bit trickier. So I think if someone has got a condition that is actively being managed by another hospital department, for example, diabetic retinopathy, if they've got diabetic macular edema, for example, or they're under a department for AMD, then it's 
probably best that they're actually seen by that same department because they can manage that patient under under one umbrella. And and the same with glaucoma as well. I've checked with the consultants in my local hospital and they say, again, if someone is actively having their glaucoma managed, it's best not to have the cataract done at an independent provider because it may well be that if the patient has pressure, um, intraocular pressure, management that's ongoing it may be that they'll decide to do a eye stent procedure at the same time as a cataract procedure which would be in the patient's best interest to only need one procedure rather than two however if you only suspect glaucoma for example and it needs investigation again at the moment because of covid people are having to wait a long time for those appointments months and months and months and so in that time someone's cataract can get a lot worse and if someone's elderly you know, they may lose their independence, they could fall. It's sometimes in the patient's best interest to then get them seen for that cataract, but still refer them for the glaucoma assessment elsewhere. But again, as I said in the webinar, it's really important that you keep the GP informed. So the GP has that overall view of what's happening to that patient and where that patient's being treated. So all the patient's medical records can be kept intact and together. It's a really good advice there. But it's a challenging situation, isn't it? And it's challenging for the patient as well, because there's a lot to take on board that they've got one condition, let alone two. And then to remember the different bits of paperwork and the process of when and where they need to be seen. It's an, another area where you need quite a bit of time and good communication skills to get all of that information across. It, it's a challenge. Yes, it is. And so quite often it is a good idea to give a copy of the referral to the patient so the patient knows where they're being referred to and what for. And again, I always tell patients to take the paperwork that we give them to the other hospital as well. So the other hospital knows exactly what we've done and what the contact at our clinic is if they have any queries. So next question, follow-ups. We all love our (laughs) follow-ups. Are they useful? Do we need to do them? How often should we follow up people? Do we need to not follow up at all? Talk us through your advice with these kind of referral situations and following up. Well, I think I think it depends what you've referred them for. But for example, with flashing lights and floaters, I don't think you can justify bringing them back every so often for a dilated fundus examination. I think if you explain at the very outset the process of posterior vitreous detachment, that it is a dynamic process, then the patient understands what's happening. So they won't be phoning you every time you have a slight change in their symptoms. But what you do need to make sure is that you understand the urgent symptoms where there's a sudden change, uh, a dramatic change. So it's increasing flashes, increasing floaters, and also fading vision. One of the ophthalmologists I spoke to on sound optometry said it's the three Fs, flashes and floaters and fading vision. If they've got all three, they need to go to casualty or go to you for that urgent assessment. So I think it does depend on what you're following them up for. If, a, if you're really worried about a patient, that perhaps they won't be compliant and go and see the hospital or you just want to follow them and see what actually was your management correct, you can always phone the patient and perhaps put a reminder in your diary to give the patient a ring and say, actually, did you go to the hospital? Did they see anything when they looked at your peripheral retina or you know, did you actually have that condition? And you get feedback on your own referrals then as well. Really good advice. I really like three Fs. That's that's really one to remember. What, what, that was Steve Lash. <laughs> okay. One, one of the jargon terms, my favourite jargon terms of this year is PIFU, which is patient-initiated follow-up. And, <laughs> and, and actually, it's really relevant in this situation, isn't it? We need to trust and empower our patients more to know when they need to come back and to make that decision and not be very you know paternalistic and say, oh, you need to come back in a week for me to check forevermore. It, it's giving them the, the information they need so they know what are the risk signs, and then to access the service, patient-initiated follow-up. 
Yeah. And patients have quite short memories. And once things uh, fade a little bit, they forget how important it can be. So I think following up with that written advice, those leaflets from the college are fantastic for reinforcing that information and just writing it down in the record card that you've told the patient to contact the practice if the situation changes. Michelle, thank you for pitching the leaflets. Available from the <laughs> college website by order. <laughs> Okay, final final question, and then we'll let you back to clinic. So, so a really nice consent one to um, end on. So, you have a patient; they refuse to go to A and E. They refuse to go to a, another optometrist for a referral. How do you manage that situation? Well, the patient has to consent before you refer as in send on any information about them you can't force that and again you can't force them to go to casualty even if you could physically force them you can't do that so you just have to make sure you've explained the process of their condition you've explained the risk of them not following your advice and what the potential consequences are which could be loss of vision and again we're talking about flashes of flakes so it is loss of vision but sometimes it could be loss of life so they need to understand the implication and you need to record it really clearly in the record card date it and time it as well i put the time on and if possible get the patient to sign it as well so that they understand really good advice michelle thank you very much for giving up your time for this podcast and thank you again for a really thoroughly enjoyable and informative webinar thank you thank you very much daniel it was a pleasure Thank you very much for listening to another webinar extra. For more college podcasts, head to the college website or just keep refreshing this feed every five seconds until another one appears. And please do also like, rate and subscribe and we'll speak to you again soon. Mm -hmm.